All right, what's up, guys? I'm Kevin Lapka. I'm Ryan Talley. And this is the Lapka and Talley podcast. This is the Week 7 Game Recap Podcast. So what we're going to do is we're going to go through every game in the NFL this week, a pretty crazy week around the league. And then we're going to go through the best things that we saw in Week 7. So like we said, a very crazy week. A lot happened. The Lions were crazy, and the games were crazy as well. A lot of a few upsets, a few... Um, expected wins for a lot of teams but let's start with the Thursday night game which was the Broncos versus the Cardinals we saw a blowout in that one where the Broncos won 45 to 10 dropping the Arizona Cardinals to one and six and the Denver Broncos to three and four both Ryan and I picked Arizona plus one and a half so we both did not hit on that Ryan would you see from this first Thursday night game of the week this was a tough game for the Cardinals very tough from the beginning they were behind Josh Rosen, pick six on his first possession, pick six later in the first quarter. So not a not a great start for them. Case Keenum for the Broncos, an all right day. About yeah, usually what you expect from Keenum. 14 of 21, 161 yards. Touchdown, interception. Phillip Lindsay had a pretty good day. Love 14 that. of 90, uh, 14 carries for 90 yards and a touchdown he has now had 75 plus scrimmage yards in five of his first seven career games so he's producing out that's got to be some field. sort of record for an undrafted rookie i'd yeah, assume he's uh he's having a really good year for the broncos so far manuel sanders another big day for him uh 102 yards receiving and a touchdown also one of one through the air 28 yep. yards Trickeration. passing a touchdown. Von Miller, big day for him on wow, defense. Yeah. Two forced fumbles, uh, two sacks. Him and uh, Bradley Chubb are absolutely wrecking force. havoc on opposing offenses. As seen by Josh Rosen, only 21 of 39, 194 yards passing. A touchdown, three interceptions, so... Not the big day that I was expecting. Yeah, we both. He never really settled in after that pick six. But David Johnson, once again, just non-existent in this Cardinals offense. 39 yards rushing on 14 carries and only 31 yards receiving, too. So they're just not incorporating him enough in the offense. Maybe, hopefully, things will change with the new offensive coordinator after Mike McCoy was fired this week. Larry Fitzgerald with a touchdown reception. He tied Tony Gonzalez with 111 career touchdown receptions. Wow. Seventh most all-time in NFL history. So uh, a career night for him, touchdown-wise. And Patrick Peterson, did he catch his last interception with the Cardinals? I think he might have. I mean, Steve Wilkes comes out and says there's no chance we're trading Patrick Peterson, but sometimes that's just beyond your control, Steve. When you got a player like that and a team like this and you can get, this is clearly a rebuilding team, and you can get value draft picks for a guy like Patrick Peterson, you take that deal. And obviously this is a guy who's, you know, he's, I think, 28, somewhere around there. So he's nearing the end of his prime. He's been in so the league for, a, he's been, I think this is his seventh year in the league. Seventh year in the league. So he's clearly eager at this point to go towards a Super Bowl contending team and possibly his last four to five years in the NFL. He wants to compete. He's sick of this one and six. He doesn't want to be a part of a rebuild right now, and that's completely understandable. So, yeah, I mean, let's go to this game. I think the tail of the tape in this one is is the Cardinals' offense. You look directly to the O-line. 
Um, I mean, Rosen's picks weren't terrible. Uh, one was miscommunication. One was tipped. But the judgment, you would like to see the judgment be a little better from Rosen. But again, he's a rookie. He is growing. I'm not going to harp on it too much because we see it all the time. Rookies who falter, you know, this is a great pass rush. And rookies a lot of times don't know how to respond to a great pass rush under pressure. And again, with an O-line like that, you know, he got sacked six times. He's going to make some bad decisions. So good job by Denver getting to the quarterback. I said that would be huge for them, and they certainly did. Von Miller looked great. That one move where he went under the right tackle and then forced the fumble, that was incredible. That is just unbelievable athleticism. Kim looked better. He's going to be the game manager. But to the Broncos' offense, it's all about rushing. And this is what I said before the game. I said they need to get Philip Lindsay and Royce Freeman back to what they were in the first two games. And that's what they did. Philip Lindsay looked really nice. He had that, that long 28-yard touchdown. Um, he's really explosive. I love the way he runs. So if they can continue, just make Case Keenum the, uh, the game manager that he is and keep ground and pound, this is going to be an okay Denver Broncos team with the defense that they have. And then, like you said, the Cardinals have fired offensive coordinator Mike McCoy. So I have a question for you. Do you think this changes the production from David Johnson? Because, like we said, it's been slow. And the new offensive coordinator, which is the previous quarterback coach, has already come out and said, we're just going to give it to David Johnson. That's our offense. Do you think it changes? Yeah, I think it will help David Johnson's production, or at least his touches. Um, I think the new offensive coordinator recognizes that Josh Rosen cannot do this all on his own. Right, and you don't want to do that to a rookie. Yeah, they need to get the running game going to allow Josh Rosen to feel more comfortable in the pocket. And I think that David Johnson will see an uptick in production. I mean, this is one of the best running backs in the league. Um, I th- he, Once he gets more touches, he'll get more involved in the game. I think his production will increase... They've they've said they've committed to David Johnson. That shouldn't have required Mike McCoy to be fired for them to commit right. uh, to David Johnson. You just if you own David Johnson in fantasy, or even just if you're a fan of David Johnson, you gotta hope that their commitment is true, and David Johnson can get back on track because right now he's he's falling off into no man's land and almost like a non-existent right, running back he, he is a star but he just does not look like it this year yep so hopefully new offensive coordinator brian left which will be able to write the ship over there on the cardinals offense let's move on now to the 9 30 a.m game in london uh i had the titans plus six and a half ryan had the chargers minus six and a half so i was right as the Chargers won 20-19, but only won by one point. It moves the Chargers to 5-2, second place in the AFC West. And the Titans down to 3-4 and four in a pretty jumbled-up AFC South. But what do we see from this game in London? The Titans' offense, once again, it's just... It's not completely going correctly. Marcus Mariota, uh, 237 yards throwing, a touchdown interception, but... They're just a slow team. They they couldn't get anything going in the first half. They finally scored a touchdown after 11 quarters without a touchdown wow. in the third quarter wow. of the game. So they've been struggling to score touchdowns. Marcus Mariota threw his first career red zone interception in the second quarter. He had thrown 41 touchdown passes prior to throwing that interception in the red zone. So 
they had a chance to score a tough break there, but uh, we finally saw Deion Lewis yes, uh, almost emerge about. as the lead back, or at least uh, the primary back. In a, He's just more dynamic a, than Derek. Yeah, in a two-man uh, situation there. 91 yards rushing, 64 yards receiving. Tajay Sharp, 101 yards receiving for the Titans. Mm-hmm. But I think the big uh, thing that the Titans need to worry about is Corey Davis, only three catches for 10 yards. I know he's playing a Both. tough Chargers defense, but he was the fourth overall pick in the draft. He was their number one pick a few years back. They is he need, really fourth overall? Yeah. Wow. They need to get him more involved. He should be their number one wide receiver every single week, and it's just not happening. The Chargers, on the other hand, a big day for Phillip Rivers, over 300 yards passing, two mm-hmm. touchdowns, no interceptions. They they were missing Melvin Gordon, but they win the game anyway. But if you look at this offense without Melvin Gordon, they just don't get the run game going the same way. Austin Eckler, only 42 yards rushing, 26 yards receiving. Yep. But Tyrell Williams, another big day for him, 118 yards and a touchdown. Keenan Allen, 72 yards receiving. Mike Williams with a big 55-yard touchdown. This Chargers team, I think their their two losses made them look like, oh, they're not really that good. They had two losses early in the season to the Rams and the Chiefs. But this is a really good Chargers team. And I would not be surprised if they do end up winning this division and they make it to the AFC Championship game. I would not even be surprised if this team makes it to the Super Bowl. They're a talented team, top to bottom. And once they get going with Melvin Gordon running the ball like he can, Phillip Rivers throwing the ball, uh, once Joey Bosa comes back from his uh, injury, this team could quickly rise to the top of the NFL. For sure, and this is a team actually I've been seeing that could be a possible um, trade destination for Patrick Peterson. I mean, if you put Patrick, they had the cornerback injury earlier in the year, and they've been hurt at that position in the secondary. And if you put a guy like Patrick Peterson out there with Joey Boza, I mean, you're right. This team is definitely a team that I think is going to win the AFC West, and you could see them in the AFC Championship. I think if you had to take them or the Chiefs um, to go up against the Patriots, I'd, I'd, I'd take them. Um, Philip Rivers right now is looking like an MVP candidate. Like you said, another great day. The night offense wasn't as dynamic without Melvin Gordon, and that was very evident. They only put up 20 points. But this game was a defensive battle that I expected. The Titans, the only way the Titans were going to keep it close in this game was if they held it um, to under 24 points or less. And that is what they did. They did a nice job on defense. But And what I liked was the rushing game. We keep saying it every week. You got to get it going with Deion Lewis. We love what he does out of the backfield. And I think you're right. I think he's. I think they just got to commit to him as the primary back. You know, if you got third and three, put in Derrick Henry. He's going to get those tough yardages, um, those tough yards. So Deion Lewis should definitely take over as a primary back with a big day, and that 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 definitely proved it. But Mariota looked better, which I think is encouraging. There's just not enough weapons for them. I think for him to succeed, and like we said, this offensive line is one of the worst in the NFL right now. So, I think he's fine. I don't think you should be panicking too much yet about Mariota. I know there was a lot of buzz about him earlier in the year about you know when he, Blaine Gabbert took over, and then there was all the QB whack stuff, and then he didn't have a good week last week. But I wouldn't be too worried yet. 
Um, I would be worried about Corey Davis. We just aren't seeing the production that we want to yet from him. I understand when it's the first year. Last year was the first year, and it's very rare that wide receivers go off in their first year. You usually will see a wide receiver um, put it together in their sophomore year, junior year, and his second and third year, and he's not quite doing that yet, so it's something to keep the eye on. I'm not going to declare him a bust yet, but the thing I want to talk about, uh, which is what everyone was talking about, is... Charger or Tennessee scores um, in the last two minutes of the game, twenty to nineteen at this point. Now Mike Vrabel can kick an extra point and send it to overtime, but he chooses to go for two. Now here's why I don't understand this: You're looking at the Tennessee Titans that during this game are three and three. If you somehow come out with a win, you're four and three, and in AFC South that the winner might be nine and seven in that division right now, the way it's looking. But now you go for two, you take the risk, and you lose, and now you're put at three and a four. And again, a division that's very winnable. And this is a possible playoff team in this division. What do you make of that decision? Do you like it? Do you like the aggressiveness? And of course, if they make it, everyone's praising Mike Vrabel for going for it. But they didn't. How do you assess the two-point conversion call in that situation? Yeah, I actually like the call. I I just think that Mike Vrabel, he's a formal former player mm-hmm. he's looking for wins he doesn't want to put his team out there for 10 more minutes in an overtime game that's going to go down to the wire kick a field goal at the end that's two more possessions that his team has to go out there and play play hard against a, a tough chargers team i think i i think the call maybe it wasn't correct from a pure football sense but i like the aggressiveness i like that uh, Vrabel's going out there and he has confidence in his guys to get it done and get the win but so- sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't, this time it didn't work for him, yeah. but that's what happens when you go uh, you go big or go home, I guess. I mean, they have the bye week next week, so I don't know why he'd be so concerned about making his players play an extra 10 minutes, but again, aggressiveness, trust in the players that's a nice thing you want to see but I just think with the position they're in in the division right now, you can't afford to take a risk like that. But we'll see how that plays out for the rest of the year with the Titans in the AFC South. Let's move on now to uh, Buffalo versus Indianapolis. The Colts have won 37-5, to moving them up to 2-5 and and dropping the Buffalo Bills to 2-5. and Both Ryan and I had Buffalo plus uh, 7.5, but we both definitely thought this could have been a flop game, and that turns out to be what the case was. Um, a pretty boring game. Not very good from Derek Anderson, but what'd you make of this one? Yeah, I want to give credit to the New England Colts, or I'm sorry, the Indianapolis Colts. <laughs> oh, I was like, where are you sorry going with that? that. Um, Andrew Luck, not a, a a whole lot of yards passing, but four, four touchdowns. touchdowns. Defense put him in a nice position. Yeah, he he has 15 passing touchdowns in his last four games. He leads the league in the NFL touchdowns. Uh, not after Patrick Mahomes going in. Oh, the, right, going yeah. into right, yeah. right. So Patrick um, Mahomes leads with 22. But yeah. After that game, he was leading the league. So he's having a, a pretty good year with a complete lack of weapons. His 15 passing touchdowns mm-hmm. in the last four games are more than the Cardinals, Titans, and Bills have combined wow. this season. Wow. So a big last four games for Andrew Luck. He got put in nice situations from the interceptions. Derek Anderson throwing three interceptions and a fumble. Uh, the Bills were hurt early with McCoy going down with an injury very early in the that game. Was tough. Chris Ivory came in, 81 yards rushing, 25 yards receiving. Kelvin Benjamin, 71 yards receiving. So a nice day for him. 
But I think the key to this win for the Colts was Marlon Mack and getting Marlon Mack going. He had 126 yards rushing and a touchdown, 33 yards receiving and a touchdown, 159 total scrimmage yards, which is the most by a Colts running back since 2011, Mm -hmm. which was Donald Brown with 163. Not many people remember Donald Brown. Yeah, so I think that's the key for the Colts to get getting wins is getting Marlon Mack going. Andrew Luck only had to throw the ball 23 times. I think that's 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 what it a, should be yeah, for him. That's a great number for him. 35 or less, I think is what you should be looking at every single week for Andrew Luck. A guy's coming off a shoulder injury and Marlon Mack is a very capable running back. I think he's the key to getting their offense going and st- sustaining success and getting wins. T.Y. Hilton had a pretty good day coming back from his injury with two touchdowns also. So this Colts team, their record is not great, but I think they're finding how to win games. And I think Marlon Mack coming back from his injury early in the season is huge for them. And I think that'll help Andrew Luck uh, with his shoulder and not having to throw as much. So big win for the Colts and a tough, tough defeat for the the Bills I really, blown out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I really agree with what you're saying about Marlon Mack. This has been the whole of the Indianapolis Colts offense for five-plus years now. They've been trying to find... They've been signing free agents. You know, they had Frank Gore. I guess he'd probably be the last one. But he, even then, was he's still old at they that time. They haven't had one They haven't had... Jo- uh, Joseph Adai. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah, they yeah, went to the Super Bowl yeah, right, with right. Manning against Right, he was, he was probably the last primary legit elite guy but Marlon Mack looks like he could be that guy you know 19 carries 126 yards and a touchdown averaging 6.6 yards a carry in that game and like you said this is the key to Indianapolis offense and if they put this if they if Marlon Mack can get going this is an offense that's actually really complete I love what they have they have Eric Ebron who's an up-and-coming tight end T.Y. Hilton we know what he can do and then you got Marlon Mack you got a you got some nice weapons on offense um you know, this was the flop we said was possible. We said, okay, Derek Anderson is either going to have a solid game, go out there and execute a nice game as a veteran and keep it close, or he's going to throw three interceptions, and that's what he did. Now, it's tough when you lose a guy like LaShawn McCoy that changes your offense, but, you know, Chris Ivory stepped in nicely. He put up 81 yards. Um, so that's really tough for Buffalo that McCoy went down. But back to Indianapolis. When you look at the offense for Indianapolis, and you look at Andrew Luck, and you look at his game. I think the biggest takeaway here is zero sacks by the Buffalo defense. And this is a really good Buffalo pass rush, ranked sixth in the league. We talked about it last week. And for that offensive line, who's been absolutely horrible for years, um, to put up great protection for Andrew Luck is going to be key for that team. And like you said, this is a team right now that's sitting at 2-5 and five in that AFC South where the leader is 4-3, and three, and we don't know what's going on over there. I'm not going to, I'm going to go out there and say this team still has a shot to win that division. You look at some of their losses. You look at that Patriots loss. You come off an overtime game on Sunday. You go play a Thursday game in New England with 20 of your players injured. That's going to happen. Um, a lot of their lo- they've had close games. They're close in a lot of games. This is a team that you'll see going down the stretch will be close in a lot of games and a chance to win a lot of games. And if they end up winning those games down the stretch, they're a team that could sneak into the playoffs. Um, do you agree with that statement, or I don't? I don't know if they can make the playoffs. I think this AFC South is actually it went from probably the worst division in football to one of. Maybe I mean not the best, but definitely it's, it's average. More I'd say it's average right now. Yeah, it's competitive. Um, I There's, think I think yeah. 
you still don't really know exactly what all of these teams right, are. Right, and that's what I'm saying. So I think the Colts, they have a shot maybe late in the season. They're, they're still contending for that AFC South division title. I don't know if they can make it into the playoffs with all their injuries. I think eventually yep. it's just the how long the season is, 16 games, it's going to catch up to them. But I think they have found how to win and how to be successful with a decent running back finally. Right, and this is a team with a new head coach, so don't even if it even if they do end up 6 and 10, 7 and 9, this is a team that showed promise um for next year for years beyond and I want to say Darius Leonard put up 17 total tackles this week. So wow. he is for sure a candidate for defensive rookie of the year. Keep your eye on that. Uh let's move on now to uh the Vikings at the Jets. The Vikings have won 37 to 17, moving them to 4-2 and 1 and first place in the NFC North and dropping the Jets to 3 and 4. Both Ryan and I had the Vikings minus 2 and a half, so we had both of us hit on that. Um, but what did you see in this game, which is actually closer than it may appear, but what did you see from it? Kirk Cousins, a uh, pretty good day. Another big day from Latavius Murray, rushing, filling in for Dalvin Cook, who looks to be uh, possibly out until after their bye week in Week 10 now. So he's struggling with that hamstring injury. Yeah. But, but Kirk Cousins, two more touchdowns, 241 yards passing. Adam Thielen, another huge day. Nine catches, 110 yards, and a touchdown. He is on pace for 1,879 yards, which would be the second most in a single season in NFL history. So he's having a huge year. He would also be the first Vikings player to lead the league in receiving yards if he can do it. He is actually the first uh, receiver to have seven straight 100-yard games. Yeah, so he he's producing every single game for this Vikings team. Going back to last year, he, he had a big year as well. Stefan Diggs, eight catches for only 33 yards, but he had 14 targets, so it's not like they weren't looking for him. It, sometimes that happens in a game. You get the targets, but the catches just aren't there. But Sam Darnold, a tough week for him. Only 17 completions <coughs> on 42 attempts, 206 yards passing. Uh a rushing touchdown, a fumble, three interceptions. Just, it was not a good day for him. The Jets just don't have a lot of weapons. But they they did just sign Rashad, Rashad Matthews. So I think that'll help Sam Darnold out. It'll get uh, some more weapons involved in the offense for him. Uh, the running game didn't really get going, only... 49 yards combined between Isaiah Crowell and Bilal Powell. So it's tough when your top two running backs only get you 49 yards, especially against a really good team like the Vikings. So this was this was a good win for the Vikings, but a game they definitely should have won against uh, the New York Jets. Yeah, I mean, like we said, this is a game where the Vikings won 37-17, to but it's not as big of a margin as it looked. Like we said... Um, the Jets have four turnovers, and what that was able to do is it was able to put Minnesota in a lot of good positions in Jets territory. The Jets defense actually looked nice in the first half. I really liked what the secondary did when I went back and watched the tape. But um, but again, when you have 
that many turnovers like that and the turnover margin is plus four, it's really hard to win football games. And we said the Jets are going to need takeaways to win this game, and they did not do that. So I think that's one of the big reasons um, they lost this game. But the New York Jets defense, I, I still really like them. Um, again, the margin is kind of inflated because of the 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 turnovers by the offense. And I, if you got to be kind of concerned about Darnold, a little careless with the ball. He's been like that. He's kind of a gunslinger. He'll throw the ball around a little bit. But, again, I know he's a rookie, but you'd like to see more control out of him. Uh, what do you think about that and Darnold? Yeah, I think I think it all stems from the running game going, actually. When, when the running game doesn't get going, especially for a rookie quarterback, it's tough to get in rhythm. You start trying to make plays that, that maybe you made in college, but in the NFL – against grown men you're not going to make those plays so I think it's a little bit of an adjustment for him playing against NFL defenses but if this run game can keep playing the way it did like against Denver when they had over 300 yards rushing I think that'll help Darnold get into rhythm get uh play safer almost I think he'll he'll settle down a little bit not feel like he has to make every single play and go out there and make amazing, right. highlight-worthy plays every single time he snaps the ball. Yep, so hopefully we'll see a little bit of improvement from Donald. Let's move on now to uh, the Carolina Panthers versus the Philadelphia Eagles, where the Panthers orchestrated a 17-point comeback in the fourth quarter to defeat the Eagles 21-17, moving them to 4-2, and two, moving the Eagles to 3-4. and four. Um, Both Ryan and I picked the Eagles minus 6.5, so we were both wrong on that. But I know this is your team. This is a pretty unimpressive win. So what did you see from this game? This was an absolutely frustrating loss for the Eagles. They enter the fourth quarter with a 17-point lead. They had been moving the ball all day. At one point, Zach Ertz and Alshon Jeffrey actually had more total yards than the entire Carolina Panthers team. So the Eagles looked like they were coasting in this game. And then that's exactly what they did. Carson Wentz. Over 300 yards, 310 yards, two touchdowns, and a fumble that ended up ending the game. A big day for Zach Ertz, 138 yards receiving. Uh, He has 58 receptions in the Eagles' first seven games. It's the most receptions over the first seven games of a season by a tight end in NFL history. So he is their number one option. But Alshon Jeffrey, seven catches, 88 yards, and a touchdown. He's their their best wide receiver I think they've missed him uh the first couple games of the season but now that he's back I think their offense actually got going the running game never really got going Wendell Smallwood led the pack with only 32 yards rushing so they didn't really get a lot of rushing going um but that was more of a problem of coaching I think they they like I said they had a 17 point lead in the fourth quarter and they stopped rushing the ball yeah. completely. That's that's an issue of coaching. Cam Newton on his last three drives, uh, with three tu- led the charge or the Panthers. I'm sorry to three touchdowns. Yeah, he had 269 yards passing, two touchdowns, no interceptions, 49 yards rushing. Also, Devin Funches 62 yards on a touchdown. Torrey Smith against his former team 61 yards receiving but this is a game that the Eagles should have won easily 
they get the ball back after the Panthers had just taken the lead. To go 14. Yeah, they, they get the uh, pass interference call. They have the ball, uh, I think, just outside the red zone. Third down, Carson Wentz tries to throw into double co- double coverage to Alshon Jeffrey. Had Wendell Smallwood wide open uh, on the sideline. Would have been an easy pickup of the, the first down. It was just poor execution in the fourth quarter for the Eagles. You got to run the ball when you're up by that much. And when you don't, it, it'll come back to hurt you. And Doug Peterson made excuses after the game that there was too much pressure on the Eagles. And, I don't know what that was. And that now they don't have any more pressure on them anymore. I mean, th- this team just won the Super Bowl. Of course there's pressure on you. Everybody who knows anything about football is expecting right. the team that just won the Super Bowl to be competitive. Of course there's going to be pressure on you. Like, I just don't understand what is going through his mind there. And then he's getting into arguments with reporters when they're asking him why he didn't run the ball. He said it's tough to be down there on the sideline. The coaching just failed the Eagles in that fourth quarter. Agreed. And Carolina should not have been in, shouldn't have had the opportunity to win that game. That that game was the Eagles from start to finish until it wasn't. But that was coaching. That Maybe a couple plays here and there. Uh, bad execution by the Eagles. But the Eagles should have won this game. And coaching just lost it for them. Yeah, my mistake was a 21-point comeback. They erased a 17-point deficit. Yeah. Um, but like you're talking about the Eagles, to me, they're playing afraid. This is a team that just won the Super Bowl. And if you look at this team last year in a game like this, when you're up 17-0 in the fourth quarter, this team wins by 34. This team is – last year, this team would pour it on and yeah. not be afraid. And, and now they're kind of playing conservative. They got the lead, and they're like, all right, let's not necessarily – let's forget what we do, and let's – you know they tried too hard, so yeah. it's just so crazy how a team goes from being so aggressive and you know so composed in situations like this to now seeing lost and what to do. And this is a game that completely got away from them. The Carolina kind of exposed that Philadelphia secondary that we mentioned. Um, that's been a consistently bad component of the defense, which I think is a concern. Which is why people think Patrick Peterson is a possible. Um, the Philadelphia's a possible landing target for Patrick Peterson. We'll have to see. But I liked Wentz, what he did. He's back to MVP form. Him and Alshon connection was great. The Ertz connection was great. That offense is still coming together. But what we see again is the lack of rushing. And this is a huge concern now for Philadelphia. Like you said, Wendell Smallwood, nine carries, 32 yards. Question for you. Are the Eagles right now more concerned about adding a defensive secondary player or a possible running back before the trade deadline? Because I think they're going to get one of them, and I think they need to get one of them if they want to return to the Super Bowl. I think the problem is more with their running backs. They stru- they've they struggled all season uh, defensively, but their defense is built around pass rush and getting pressure on the quarterback, and when right. that's not going, their secondary is just lost. But I think if we can get if the Eagles can get more pressure – the secondary starts to look a little bit better. But when your leading rusher only has 32 yards behind last year, which was one of the best offensive lines in the league, they bring back in almost entirely the same offensive line. Yeah. I think the running backs are the issue. I think all three guys 
uh, that they have, Josh Adams, Wendell Smallwood, and Corey Clement, they're all capable, but they're all very, very similar backs. They're all, uh, like, speed guys. They're, there's no guy that can just pound the defense. Yeah, there's no guy who, who's just going to be the guy, really. They're all very similar guys, and I think if they if they want to make another run in the playoffs, I think running back is going to be their solution. All right, so we'll keep our eye on that as the trade deadline nears. That would be October 30th, so they got seven days right now to make a move for a possible running back. Let's move on now to Cleveland versus Tampa Bay. Another Cleveland overtime game, but the Tampa Bay Buccaneers edged them out in the end. They have won 26-23, moving them to 3-3, three and three, surprisingly, moving the Cleveland Browns now to 2-4-1 and 0-3 and oh and on the road. Hugh Jackson maybe on the hot seat. We'll talk about that in a little bit. Both Ryan and I took Tampa Bay minus 3.5, so we are wrong just by a bit as they only won by 3. But what did you see from this overtime game in Tampa? It was just another Cleveland Browns game. They're in it, and they can't execute when it comes down to crunch time. Yep. Jameis Winston, he did what he usually does, 365 yards passing, zero touchdowns, two interceptions, 55 yards rushing and a touchdown. But that that's what Jameis Winston does. It's what you do with the other guys and how you execute off of his two interceptions. And his fumble. And the Browns just, they didn't do it. I mean, this Buccaneers team is, this the defense is one of the worst in the league. Oh, yeah. And they could not score at all on them in the first half. And the Browns have weapons. They have uh, uh, Jarvis Landry, who actually had seven, 97 yards, sorry, and yeah. a touchdown. I like David Njoku. Yeah, they have weapons. Nick Chubb. Uh, with a big game after Carlos Hyde's trade to Jacksonville, yep. 80 yards and a touchdown. But you got to execute when when it's in crunch time. They get the ball back on a punt in overtime, and Jabril Peppers fumbles mm. at midfield. Mm. It's, it's just, it has to be infuriating for Browns fans because they could easily have won every single game this year. Right. And... Somehow they managed to just keep losing these games, and I think eventually the the excuse of, well, this team just isn't good, this team doesn't have talent for Hugh Jackson is going to run out by the end of the season if he doesn't figure out how to win these games. You can't keep losing in overtime games. That shows that you're a team that is capable of winning but just can't do it yet, but it's time for them to start winning. They've had two awful years. They need to figure it out now. And the Bucks, the Bucks capitalized on what the Browns couldn't do. Right. Chandler Catanzaro with the 59-yard field goal to win the game, which was the longest game-winning field goal in overtime since regular season overtime rule was instituted in 1974. Wow. So a huge kick by him. And good for the Bucks for capitalizing on the Browns' ineptitude to win football games when they have the chance. Right. I mean, this is something that 
you know, sources are right now saying that the front office is infuriated with Hugh Jackson, that he's on thin ice. That's what the sources are saying. I'm not surprised. And I'm not surprised either. When In the beginning of the year, when you lose a few of those games, the reason they kept Hugh Jackson in the first place is because it was all part of the process. He was all part of the process about rebuilding the team, and they want him to be there kind of stabilizing the rebuild, right? But now, when you're losing football games this way, like you said, this team has the talent. There's no reason they should be losing these football games. And when you're losing games like this, when you can't execute in crunch time, it's going to come directly down to the coaching. And I know the players make a few mistakes, but when it you're in this many overtime games and you lose all of them, it's going to come down to coaching. And I think you're right. I think he's going to I think he's going to get fired possibly even before the year ends. If they win a few more games and they get to 4-4 and 1, I think they keep him, but no doubt by the end of the year, I think he's gone because they know now this team has the talent. Forget about the rebuild stuff. Forget about the stability. They got the talent. Let's bring in a, a new, young, offensive-minded, creative coach yeah. to help out Baker, and I think that's definitely what they're going to do. But back to the game. First of all, this game shouldn't have even gone to overtime because um, Kansaro should have made the first field goal in the first place. Yeah. So they shouldn't have even been in overtime in the first place. People look past that. But... Um, you know, more kicker woes and all that. But Jameis had a bad tur- turnover before the half that would have resulted, that would have been a touchdown if he didn't turn it over. But the Bucks D stepped up, and they got a takeaway of their own, a Levante David fumble after the Bucks, um turned it over. So the Buccaneers did a really good job of what they haven't been doing all year, and that's getting turnovers and playing good defense. And that was the biggest flaw of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, but they showed up against Baker Mayfield. And I don't think you can... I don't know if you should be concerned about Baker. You know, he orchestrated a, a a nice fourth quarter comeback, but yeah, I believe actually I saw he has the most passing yards by any uh Cleveland Brown rookie quarterback through his first 5 games. So uh-huh. he's actually looking good. It, it, it's not time to worry about him. It's yet. not time to worry. I wouldn't worry, but I wouldn't be too high on him in the same. Again, this is the way it is for me for all rookies. I cannot judge them off the first year too much yeah so again that's a common um a common notion but we'll see how baker produces the rest of the year and progresses as a quarterback again when you have a guy like baker who's coming out of oklahoma with that much experience he's gonna be better in his first year than a josh rosen even or even uh um a josh allen because those guys are playing at UCLA, which is a good school, and then Wyoming for Josh Allen. I mean, you saw Deshaun Jackson versus Mitchell Trubisky last year. Deshaun Jackson playing at Clemson. Did I just say Deshaun Jackson? Deshaun Deshaun Watson. Watson. Deshaun Watson playing at Clemson versus Mitchell Trubisky playing at UNC. People overlook how how much effect being in uh, those big time programs in the national championship two times can um, can help a, a player's development in their first year. So. We'll see how Baker progresses. Um, can't talk too much about him yet, but big win for Tampa as they um, as they get a big win for the NFC South in that division race. Let's move on now to the Patriots versus the Bears. A very crazy game in Chicago where the Chicago Bears have lost 38-31, to dropping them to 3-3. Three and three. They've now lost two in a row, moving the Patriots up to 5-2. and two. Ryan had the Patriots minus two and a half. I had the Bears plus two and a half, so I was wrong. Ryan was right on this one. Um, what did you see from this crazy game in Chicago? Tom Brady, another Tom Brady. Tom Brady okay, game. Let me let, let me just, let me just stop you right there. You didn't watch the game. You watched I did some watch of it. the game. You watched some, You kind of watched a little bit. Of it. You were you were watching it. Listen, 
This whole offense, I'm not going to praise Tom Brady at all for what this offense did. I know he's the greatest of all time and all that. Listen, it's check down. It's slant. It's 10-yard in routes. Any quarterback in the NFL can do what he's doing right now. It's schematically Bill Belichick, what he does, that makes Tom Brady look good at this point of his career. So I just want to get that out of the way. You see the stats, but don't be... Fair enough, but Tom Brady, he is still 41. He threw he for 277 right. yards. It's still incredible. Touchdowns. I'm not saying it's not incredible. And an interception. Uh, Josh Gordon, 100 yards receiving. Uh, his first, I would say, very big day as a Patriot. Yeah. Uh, James White stepped in after Sony Michelle got injured. 40 rushing yards, 57 receiving yards, two touchdowns receiving. He has a a receiving touchdown in four of his last five games and leads the team with six receiving touchdowns. So Tom Brady clearly likes to throw to him, not necessarily in goal line situations, but in a little bit of longer distance, you know, screen pass situations. Yeah. Ken John Barner stepped in, had a decent time running 36 yards. Chris Hogan uh, finally made an appearance in this offense, 63 yards receiving. Mitch Trubisky, another big day for him. 26 of 50, 333 yards passing, two touchdowns, Mm -hmm. two interceptions, 81 yards rushing, and a touchdown. That's the most rushing yards allowed by the Patriots to an opposing quarterback since Tim Tebow in 2011. (laughs) So uh, a great class there, Tim Tebow and Mitch Trubisky. But Trubisky threw the ball 50 times, and... That, I just don't think is going to work. Right. I think uh, Jordan Howard had 12 yards or twelve carries, 39 yards, and a touchdown. He needs to get more. I know Cohen is probably the better fit for this offense, but I think Jordan Howard needs to be the guy who gets those early down yards, gets them closer on third down. He doesn't need to be getting... 25 carries a game, but maybe somewhere in the 17 range. Cohen only had six rushes, too. He's not a very big guy, so you can't run him uh, between the tackles every single play. But I think this team needs to rush a little bit more. Mitch Trubisky, just as a young quarterback, should not be throwing the ball 50 times. Yeah. It's not good for his arm, and I just don't think it'll... I think the offense will flow better if they can get the run game going a little bit more. But Trey Burton, a big day for him. Huge. 129 yards receiving and a touchdown. I think this is what we expected when he came over in free agency from the Eagles. I think he always had the talent with the Eagles but never really had the opportunity Mm -hmm. because the Eagles had Zach Ertz and Brent Selleck. But Burton is finally showing what he can do. And I think he is quickly becoming Mitch Trubisky's favorite target. This game... This game, it it was close right at the very the end. Line. It came down to one yard, about two feet. If yep. if Kevin White can backpedal just a little bit more, what a story that would be! Oh my goodness. Bust wide receiver, right? first round pick, oh, Kevin White comes that, up yeah. big with a hail mary touchdown, Couldn't, but oh it just didn't work out for the the Bears here. Yeah, but I think they showed that they could play with the best teams in the NFL. I don't know if they're quite on the level of the best teams in the NFL 
quite yet, but at least they are showing that they can compete. I think that's a big step. I don't know if it's going to be their year in the division. I think the NFC North is starting to elevate it itself a little bit more, but this Chicago Bears team is definitely going to be a force for years to come with their defense and Mitch Trubisky finally turning into the quarterback that the Bears thought he could be coming out of North Carolina. Love to hear it. Love to hear it. I mean, I completely agree about them competing with the best teams in the NFL. They've been competitive in every game. Um, and then this is just, this is a football game that the Bears win without their special teams mishaps. You let Cordero Patterson run for a touchdown, and then you get a punt block that gets returned for a touchdown. They win this football game without the special team mishaps. So go out there and say it. And if they win this football game, there's everyone's talking Super Bowl in Chicago. But... Talk about Mitchell Trubisky. Everybody still is talking Super Bowl. In yeah, Chicago, and are they not? the reason why is because they have the talent. I'll get into that. Let's start with Mitchell Trubisky. People want to harp on him about this game. He made a few bad decisions, but he did enough to win the game. He put him in a position to win the game. And like I said, they would have won the game with those special team mishaps. One of the interceptions to Josh Bellamy. I don't know if you saw that one. Uh, on the great, run. Great defensive play. Great defensive play. This is an unbelievable throw. People are not talking about it. He rolls out. He puts it in literally the only place Josh Bellamy can catch it, but people don't see. It goes through his hands, bounces off his chest, and literally goes right into the arms of the defender. So don't harp him in about that interception. He had a few bad throws. I know. He's still inconsistent with his passing. But if there's one thing about a quarterback that you'd be worried about, it's about intermediate passes like that. That's something that I think can be fixed. And I think decision-making itself can be fixed as well. If he had problems with his footwork or he wasn't mobile or he's not getting the playbook down, that's more of a problem to me than not hitting on a few throws. Because I think that's something that he can still develop into. And already this year, he's been better. And again, he puts up 333 yards, puts up 300-plus yards for this third straight game and throws two touchdowns Then He rushes like a maniac. And of course, this is all due to the Patriots' pressure. They, This is what they do against rookie not rookie, but first, second-year quarterbacks. They pressure him. They make him grow out of the pocket. They make him make throws like that. And he was absolutely exceptional out of the pocket. He managed it really well. He was smart. He ran the ball um, when he needed to. He got first downs. And I've just absolutely loved Mitchell Trubisky's progression thus far. Moving on. Um, offense. We talked about Kevin White. This is a guy. Let me tell you right now. The biggest takeaway from this game for the Chicago Bears is Kevin White. You go up there, and out of all the guys on the team, you rely on Kevin White to make the game potential game-winning play. That says a ton about this guy's confidence. And not only the fact that you put him out there, the fact that he makes the catch in a crowd of four people. I mean, this is what we expected Kevin White to do when we drafted him 7th overall in 2015. This is a guy who just needed confidence and he proved it right there that he can go up and get the ball. They don't have a guy on the team right now that can go up and get it. Allen Robinson isn't that guy. Kevin White can be that guy. And if he is that guy, this is huge for that offense. Defensively, I do not understand. Here's some defensive statistics. They had 18 rushes with four men, 15 rushes with three men, five rushes with five men, and two rushes with six men. But what happens in the two rushes with six men? One results, results in a sack and two interceptions when you rush six guys. So 
why aren't you rushing six guys more often? They have the fifth least pressure in the NFL out of all defenses, which would completely completely surprise me when I saw that stat, considering the pressure they're getting in the first four games. Vic Fangio needs to dial up more blitzes. They got shredded by Tom Brady because of the short passes and the screen passes. It was a total defensive breakdown. I hated what Vic Fangio did on defense. The tackling was poor again. You saw it on that long 58-yard Josh Gordon touchdown. Or it was not a touchdown. But uh, catch um, a fifty catch around fifty yard gain, absolutely horrible tackling. Again, that'll improve. I love that I saw from Kyle Fuller. Got another interception for his second straight game. He's looking really damn good. But listen, the Bears are very close to being six and zero. Like you said, this is a team that could compete with the best of them. And once they again, they're a still developing team. Once they put it all together, this is a force to be reckoned with. Again, Khalil Mack was not healthy that game. They dropped him in coverage. 18 times, the most times in his career. Again, I don't understand that. They dropped Leonard Floyd in coverage 14 times. I don't know what's going on there. Vic Fangio will figure it out. Once Khalil Mack is healthier, he'll be getting the pressure that the Chicago Bears need, and this is a defense that will be top five again. They have two winnable games. There should be five and three after the eight-game mark, so we'll see. Don't harp on it too much, but again, Patriots look like the best team in the AFC after this one. All right, let's move on. Let's go to the Texans versus the Jaguars. Really interesting game here, AFC South battle. The Texans have beaten the Jaguars 20-7. The Jaguars has now dropped three in a row. And um, Blake Bortles was benched during that game for Cody Kessler. Who did we have here? We both had the Jags minus five, so we were both wrong on that. What did you see from this game and a pretty bad game for the Jaguars and not an exceptional game for the Texans either? Yeah, I think this game all comes down to the ineptitude of the Jacksonville Jaguars. The ineptitude. I mean, Blake Bortles, 6 of 12, mm-hmm. throwing 61 yards. Uh, he had 30 rushing yards, which led the team in rushing yards. And he got benched oh in this God. game. He had two fumbles. He will start next week in London. He has a short leash, the though. Eagles. Yes, but he will start. Cody Kessler came in, did an okay job. 156 yards, uh, a touchdown, an interception. TJ Yeldon, 28 yards rushing, 40 yards receiving, and a touchdown. Dante Moncrief actually had a a nice day, 76 yards receiving. But if you look at Houston, they didn't even do that uh, great either. Deshaun Watson, only 139 yards passing, one touchdown, no interceptions. Uh... DeAndre or yeah, DeAndre Hopkins, fifty yards receiving, Fuller, sixty-eight yards receiving. So no one absolutely exploded. But the key here was Lamar Miller, yep. twenty-two rushes, a hundred yards they've been missing. and a touchdown. As I mentioned last week, Jacksonville struggles when teams rush thirty plus times against them. Jacksonville is now 0-4 when the opposing team rushes. 30 or more times wow. and 3 and 0 oh when they rush less than 30 times. So that's the they, formula to yeah, beat the Jaguars. You got to you got to grind this defense down with rushing. And the Jaguars have now scored seven or fewer points in 3 games this season, which ties them for the most such games with the Buffalo Bills. Wow. I mean, this is a team that was just in the AFC Championship not necessarily for their offense, but this team was still in the AFC Championship. They had a huge game in the playoffs against Pittsburgh offensively. And what happened? 
Now they're tied with the Buffalo Bills, who people expected to be one of the worst teams in the league this year. They can't they can't score the ball. I think this comes down to actually letting Allen Robinson go, and then Marquise Lee as well. Yeah, Marquise Lee gets hurt early in the season. I think he got hurt in the preseason. Leonard Fournette has not really played at all this year. He's missed a ton of games. That is why they had to trade for Carlos Hyde, who didn't yep, play this exactly. week, obviously. Just they need to figure it out offensively or they're going nowhere. We talk about it every damn week. The identity of the Jacksonville Jaguars is ground and pound. And when TJ Eldon runs for 12 carries and 28 yards, they're going to lose the football game. Now look, this is a team where you're solely relying on rushing. And this is why they miss Fournette so much. But then Cody Kessler comes in, 200 for 30, 156 yards. His interception was due to a, a TJ Olden drop. So now part of me is thinking, all right, is the problem more on the quarterback or is it more on rushing? I think it's a little bit of both. I think it's more on rushing, but Cody Kessler completely outperforms Blake Bortles. He had a nice, a lot, he had a lot of nice rollouts. I mean, this is a very good defensive front for the Houston Texans. He rolled out, he made some nice plays when I went back and watched the tape. And they have a few weapons, like we said. Keelan Cole, I like. Didi Westbrook, a really fast guy I like. Dante Moncrief, I really like. Don't forget, Didi Westbrook was a Heisman contender two yeah. years ago um, when he was in college out of Oklahoma. So this is an offense where I love the weapons they have on the outside, and they should be doing a lot more passing, but they're just not. And that, to me, is a testament to Blake Bortles, who is right now the worst quarterback in the NFL. So I do think the Jacksonville Jaguars trade for a quarterback. We'll see how that plays out. The Jacksonville D was not terrible. Let's not harp on the Jacksonville D. The secondary was great, but right now the front seven's not getting it done. The secondary holds Deshaun Watson to 139 yards and a completion rating of 50% and a QBR of 43.3. This is a, I know DeAndre Hopkins makes a one-handed catch unbelievably against Jalen Ramsey, but other than that and the touchdown, he locked him down. So yeah. I don't like Jalen Ramsey, but he locked him down. Um, again, Jacksonville is not going to do anything until they get this running game going and until they make a switch at quarterback permanently. That's why they signed Carlos Hyde. We'll see if it changes, but they're missing Leonard Fournette, and nothing's going to change, people. Don't expect this Jacksonville team to get any better unless they get Fournette back and unless they make it a trade for um, a different quarterback. I don't think it'll be Eli at this point. I just seem seeing things that um, the Giants apparently want to keep Eli through the trade deadline. Not really sure why, but we'll see. Um, but this is an AFC South battle, so I have a question for you. At this point, you have... The Texans at four and three, leading the division. The Jacksonville Jaguars at three and four. The Indianapolis Colts at one and five, or two and five, and the Buffalo Bills at two and five as well. No, not the Buffalo Bills. The Tennessee Titans at um, what are they? The Tennessee Titans at three and four. Who do you have winning the AFC South at this point? I think Jacksonville will pull it out. I think their defense is too good. Once they get Carlos Hyde in there, I think they can get the running game going a little bit more. Although a tough week against the Eagles defense, who is a very, very good run defense. Yeah. So I think I think it all starts with the run game, and you're seeing that with Leonard Fournette out. Blake Bortles is forced to do things that he simply cannot do. He's never going to be an elite quarterback. No. But as we saw last year, he's capable enough to get the job done. If they have a rushing attack. That's yeah. the only way. Yeah, and I think once Carlos Hyde gets in there, fills in for Leonard Fournette until he comes back, I think Jacksonville will eventually get going. I think it will be a competition down to the very end between Houston 
and Jacksonville. Yep. But I think Jacksonville will pull it out overall. All right, I got. I agree. I'll go with Jacksonville again. It's all going to depend on the time to have Leonard Fournette. So we'll see how it plays out. Let's move on now to Detroit versus Miami. Detroit Lions have won thirty-two to twenty-one in Miami, moving Miami to four and three, moving Detroit Lions up to three and three, and out of last place in the NFC North. I picked Detroit minus three. Ryan picked Miami plus three. So I was right. He was wrong on that one. Not much from Brocktober, my man. Not much from your guy. What do we see in this one in Miami? Yeah, Detroit finally got their run game going. Carryon Johnson, 158 yards rushing on 19 carries. LeGarrette Blunt, 50 yards rushing and a touchdown. And surprisingly, out of all of the Lions wide receivers, you got Kenny Galladay, Golden Tate, Marvin Jones Jr. They only combined for um, 100 and two yards on 12 wow, targets. Wow, quick math. But Michael Roberts, surprisingly, three catches, 48 yards, two touchdowns. Matthew Stafford looked for him. Matthew Stafford, not a very characteristic day for him, only 217 yards passing, but he did what it took to win. And this was just, it was a tough day for Brocky Balboa. He had oh! 239 yards, two touchdowns, and no interceptions. That a one touchdown he had rolling out puts it in a nice perfect throw. window. A really really good throw from him. Kenyon Drake, seventy two yards and a touchdown. But I believe his touchdown run was a long run, so that is a Stats little bit inflated. inflated. Yeah, fifty four yard run. Danny Amendola, fifty or I'm sorry, eighty four yards receiving mm-hmm. and a touchdown. But if I'm Miami, I know Ryan Tannehill is out for another week. So we have another week of the big Brockowski, right? Is this a quarterback <laughs> controversy situation? I think it I think it might be. Mm, I don't know. I think it might be. I think it's time for Miami to start considering where they're actually going to go with Ryan Tannehill. I agree. And I don't know if it's very far, at least until the end of the season. I don't know how far you're going to get with Ryan Tannehill. I think you might be better off sticking with Johan Sebastian Brock keeping him under center <laughs> and I think I think he's crazy. the better option for the Miami Dolphins moving forward but the Lions had 248 yards rushing well, like I said was a key for them yep. the last time the Lions rushed for 248 yards plus in a game was week 13 1997 against the Colts who is the running back? Was it? I don't think it was Barry Sanders. No way. I think There's he. No was. way. He's but out of the league. This is what the Lions have to do. I know you have Matthew Stafford, who loves to throw the ball sixty yards every single play. But if they can get this running game going, they can compete in the NFC North, and I think it'll make them a more balanced team. I, this team was yeah. always in the playoff picture the past couple of years, but they were never really a balanced team. Going back to with Calvin Johnson, it was always just Calvin Johnson or bust. Yeah. But now, if you can get the balance going, you can get the run game going. You got Golden Tate, Kenny Galladay, Marvin Jones Jr. There's a ton of weapons here. I like the Lions going forward. They had a tough week one, but they pick, they rebounded. They picked themselves up off the ground. 
and I think they're starting to move forward, starting to get more competitive under Matt Patricia. So good for the Lions. Keep an eye out on them late into December competing for the NFC North. Well, I'm just going to say you're wrong there. They're going to end up 8-8 eight and, eight and miss the playoffs. But All right. Just going to go out there and say that because the Bears are going to beat them twice. But Let's move on. They're right. About No, no, that's not what we stay on this game. The Lions, you're right. This is what they've been missing for years. They've been, you know, they had that incredibly long streak without a 100-yard rusher, and all of a sudden, Kerry Jan Johnson pops into the scene and puts up, what is it, 158 yards this week, and that is just exceptional against the Miami Dolphins defense that held the Bears to not that many rushing yards last week. So, it's encouraging for Detroit Lions offense to get that dynamic. Like you said, this is an offense that had been relying on Matthew Stafford throwing the ball four times. And if Matthew Stafford had a good game, they win the football game. If he doesn't have a football a good game, they lose the football game. It was completely reliant on Matt Stafford. Um, we still don't know about Detroit, though. Again, they're very inconsistent. I'm not going to judge them yet, even after this win over Miami, who I still think is not that talented of a team. Um, the Dolphins' Z wasn't great. They got shredded down the stretch when I watched the tape. I know they, they came up with some big plays here and there. Um, no takeaways for either team, which is going to be a problem for the Dolphins on the stretch. They cannot force takeaways. But, you know, Dolphins still accumulated 322 yards. It wasn't a terrible game. But these are both teams, to me, that have no identity, especially the Miami Dolphins. You don't have a specific... I guess you could say Matt Stafford is their identity for the Lions. But if you're looking at the Dolphins, there's no part of the team that they do specifically good one day it's rushing one day it's passing one day it's the secondary with Minka Fitzpatrick the other day it's the D-line they have no consistency as far as an identity of the team you know teams will have an identity as what is the Chiefs identity offensive explosion what's the Jaguars identity ground and pound stuff like that that's what I'm talking about here and I don't really think the 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 Detroit Lions have that much of identity either so we'll see if they can create an identity going down, see what is their team going to be? How are they going to put themselves in winning games? Maybe their identity down the stretch will be the rushing attack. We'll see. Um, but this is a team that's in a really competitive NFC North. And like you're saying, I don't think they'll have a chance to win this division just with that many competitive teams in there and the inconsistency um, of who they are. We'll see down the stretch what they can do in the next few games. Maybe that will tell the tale of who the Detroit Lions are. So we'll see. Anything else you want to add? Yeah, going back to my point earlier, uh, the 1997 Lions, that running backfield, yes. who was, was Barry Sanders. It was Barry Sanders. Who led the oh. way with 216 that's yards. That's what I thought. I was, that's why I asked that. I was like, Ron Rivers also wow. contributing into that. But, yeah, 216 yards by Barry Sanders. Wow. Week 13, 1997 against the Colts. All right, well, there you go. Statman. Do you know who the Colts' starting quarterback was in that game? 1990 coach of a specific team up north um college football team oh of a college football oh not Jim Harbaugh yeah Jim no Harbaugh. way wow oh man look at that he's really digging down deep into the into the web for that one let's move on now to the most exciting game of the week I thought the one that I thought would be um the best game of the week that featured a really high-powered offense and a really good defense. It turned out to be a really good game like we expected. The Saints somehow pulled out a 24-23 win due to a missed extra point by Justin Tucker 
who had never missed an extra point in his career, had made 238 straight extra points prior to this game. But New Orleans wins 24-23, moving them to 5-1, first place in the NFC South, moving the Baltimore Ravens to 4-3 in a very competitive AFC North. What a game in Baltimore. What are your takeaways? Yeah, Drew Brees becomes the... Wait, we both had New Orleans plus 2.5, both wrong on that. Go on. No, that's right. Plus two and a half. Oh, it was plus. Outright. Right, I thought it was mine. Yeah. They did win outright. Both right on that. New yeah. Orleans plus two and a half. Good for us. There go we on. go. Drew Brees becomes the third quarterback in NFL history to beat all 32 teams, joining yep. Brett Favre and Peyton Manning. He also throws his 500th career passing touchdown. What a day. So a very historic day for him. 212 yards passing, two touchdowns, no interceptions. He has completed 170 passes this year without an interception through the first seven weeks, which is the most completions without an interception through seven weeks since 1970. So he is on a roll this year. Wow. Keeping the ball, uh, not turning it over. Alvin Kamara, 64 yards and a touchdown rushing. Michael Thomas. A, a nice day for him, 69 yards receiving and a touchdown. Joe Flacco actually had a pretty good day um, for him, 279 yards passing, two touchdowns, no interceptions. Mm-hmm. John Brown with 134 yards receiving and a touchdown, got the big touchdown late to give the Ravens a chance to tie. And Justin Tucker oh. misses extra point. But you, you just got to feel bad for him. I know we've been talking about the kicking woes all season long. But the one guy you just you can't talk about it with is Justin Tucker. I mean, the amount of huge field goals this guy hits, he's basically automatic. And obviously you see why he's basically automatic and not completely automatic. Because sometimes you just miss some. I mean, yeah, he hit over 200 straight uh, point after attempts. Most of which came when the ball was placed at the two-yard line. But still, since that rule was instituted, he hadn't missed since. This guy can kick from anywhere on the field. you got to feel bad for him because, yeah, he might have lost him this game, but the amount of games that he's won for the Ravens, the blame cannot be put all on him. It's just he is the most accurate kicker in NFL history. You can't be mad at him. You you just got to feel bad for him. It's just a tough situation to miss your first point after attempt in your career in the situation to put oh. the team to give yourself a shot in overtime oh. just tough day for him but overall a very good game uh the ravens very good defensively holding this saints team to only 24 points so yep uh this is an elite defense and the ravens show that their offense can do enough to compete as long as their defense is playing well. So I think the AFC North, AFC North yeah, is going to be very competitive with the Steelers coming back from a bye, and they look like they're starting to roll. going to be very interesting to see in December. Yep, we'll see. I also want to know the number of people who walked away from their TV after the Ravens touchdown, probably going to get a beer thinking, all right, baby, tied, we're going to go to overtime. Yeah. And then come back to the TV to realize Justin Tucker has missed the extra and the, point. the TV announcers jinxed them. They, had, yep. they were just mentioning They were just mentioning the fact that he had one never missed. As oh, the ball yeah. was being snapped. Yeah. 
So we can blame it on the TV announcers, right? That's yeah. what we'll blame it on. Um, yeah. The whole jinx. But again, this was the gritty, great matchup we expected. We knew this was going to be a fight. We weren't really sure exactly which way it would go. And it was it was kind of right. We weren't, It didn't really go either way. It was going to be a tie if you made the extra point and then go to overtime. So the thing about the Saints, which they're really good at, is moving the ball. 26 first downs, 6 for 14 third down efficiency is actually really good. Yeah. They. I mean, they can do a lot on third down. You have the option. What do you want to do? You want to throw a pitch to Alvin Kamara? Do you want to throw a slant to Michael Thomas? Or do you want to ground it up pound with um, Mark Ingram? So they have a ton of options there. I love how the Saints move the ball, and they did that really well against the Ravens. I think Breeze, uh, Drew Breeze right now is an MVP candidate, without a For doubt. Sure. Yeah. Um, and this is something we saw now both teams here against each other that use backup quarterbacks as rushing threats. Who do you think is more effective with it? The New Orleans Saints with Taysom Hill or the Baltimore Ravens with Lamar Jackson? Lamar Jackson scored a touchdown this week, but Taysom Hill had more yards. What's your take? I think Taysom Hill. I mean, he's he's yeah. being he's yeah. more efficient when he's getting in there. Lamar Jackson, when he's in, it's basically the same play every time. A wildcat snap straight up the middle. At least the Saints do a little bit of a read option, a little bit of misdirection try and fool the defense a little bit but I just don't understand it if I was Drew Brees if I was Joe Flacco I would be pissed standing over at wide receiver you're just completely wrecking the flow of the offense I don't want some other guy coming in there just so he can run for three yards up the middle that's why I have running backs (laughs) I want to stay in there take the ball under center because what's that saying to me is that we're we're trying to get this guy involved so he can take my job and if I was them, well, I would not, not for like the it. Saints, but for the Ravens. Well, eventually for the I mean, yeah, Drew Brees, his job is safe, but Taysom Hill, I guess that's who the Saints want to take over. So it's not much of a competition there, but I would still be mad. the uh, the The flow of the offense is just getting destroyed. I think. Right. I mean, clearly Lamar Jackson is the better, more athletic runner, but the the Saints are just more creative with what they do with Taysom Hill. Yeah. When Lamar Jackson gets in the game, it's literally a direct snap every time. Yeah. And they're just like, all right, Lamar, we're going to give you a direct snap, and it's your job to juke the whole defense. When they have Taysom Hill in there, they do a lot of different things. He might throw a pitch, which he actually threw to Alvin Kamara, in which he fumbled. Um, that happened. But there's a lot more that they do with Taysom Hill versus the Ravens who just give it to Marla, Lamar Jackson on a, on a direct snap. So I'm definitely going to say that the New Orleans have a more dynamic. Um, and I think Taysom Hill actually went in on a fourth down fake punt. Yes, and he did. He got three yards, got the yeah. first down there. So that was really creative, too. He's being used all over. Um, But to Ravens, Flacco looks really good. Not really good, but he did enough to win the game. He didn't look bad. He made a lot of nice throws. Of course, he had the errant throws like he usually does. But he did enough for them to put them in a position to win the game. He had the nice game-winning drive. The Falcons did a lot of blitzing on, def- on defense, but Breeze did a really good job of evading the blitz, getting out of the pocket. When I watched the tape, he was really good, making plays on the run, a lot of play action from the Saints. And now let's go to um, a trade transaction. The New Orleans Saints have actually just signed cornerback Eli Apple from traded New for. York. Sorry, traded. Traded for cornerback Eli Apple for New York for uh, a fourth-round pick and a seventh-round pick. So the Giants' 2015 first-round pick and 2016 first-round pick, which was Eric Flowers and Eli Apple, has turned into a fourth-round pick and a seventh-round pick. Wow. Absolutely terrible. Terrible drafting from the Giants over there. But 
Eli Apple as a playmaker for the Saints. I was actually surprised that I, I had no idea Eli Apple was even on the market for a trade. Yeah. And I think that is an indication if you're a Giants fan that this is the beginning of the rebuild. But for the Saints, it adds a key defensive player. Again, the the whole flaw of the Saints the past few years, this year as well, has been the secondary. They got Marshawn Ladmore in the draft this year, and that helped lock down wide receivers. But this is still a secondary that can be improved, and they got uh, not a stellar cornerback, but a guy who can certainly be an impact player on that defense in Eli Apple. So a good transaction for a Saints team that is definitely a Super Bowl contender, definitely wants to make a run in the Super Bowl, as they know Drew Brees is running out of time. And so, they didn't give up a lot like they might have to for a guy like Patrick right. Peterson. It's a fourth-rounder. Like, yeah, they got him pretty cheap. Eli Apple struggled for the Giants for the uh, most part, but he was He'll still be a first-round pick. He yeah. still has talent. He has potential. Uh, good trade for the Saints, I think. Agreed. All right, let's move on now to an NFC West matchup between the Rams and the 49ers. The Rams have destroyed the 49ers 39-10, to moving them to 7-0, the only undefeated team in the NFL, dropping the 49ers to 1-6. I had the 49ers plus 9.5 for some reason. I was wrong. Um, Ryan was correct, picking the Rams at minus 9.5. Not a lot to say from this game, but what did you see? Yeah, Jared Goff, not, not necessarily a great game. Uh, they just haven't been throwing By his a lot. standards yeah. this year, only 202 yards passing, two touchdowns, no interception. But Ty Gurley, another huge day, 63 yards rushing, two rushing touchdowns, 23 yards receiving, and a receiving touchdown. He is on pace for 32 scrimmage touchdowns oh this season. Oh, my goodness. Which would break Hall of Famer LaDainian Tomlinson's single-season record of 31 set back in 2006. Wow. So he is having a historic season this year. It seems like he's scoring three touchdowns every single game. Yeah, sure does. I mean, this guy is just... It's also a little bit of the offense. Every time they get the ball in the five, it's three straight plays to Todd Gurley. Yeah. Almost guaranteed. So he's getting a ton of looks in the red zone on goal line situations. But this game was over very quickly. The Rams had their backups in by the four, this early in the fourth quarter. Yeah. Uh, which Malcolm Brown, their backup running back, had 65 yards rushing. So it was good for them to get him a little bit involved, uh, see what he could do. Robert Woods, 78 yards receiving. Brandon Cook, 64 and a touchdown. So this this Rams offense just does what it normally does. Yeah, I mean, I don't know why I took the 49ers. I thought they'd be able to get it together with the running game. The defense would play solid. But C.J. Beathard just proved who he really is. He was too sloppy with the football. And yeah. the takeaways allowed the, the Rams to get in a nice position to score. But... I like what you see from Raheem Mostert. We talked about him in the preview podcast. He had seven carries for 59 yards, an average of 8.4 yards per carry. Um, he's turning out to be an impact player, but Brita only five carries for 15 yards. Um, I'm surprised they didn't run more. They actually got Alfred Morris in the mix, but this is a really good Rams defensive front. There's just not a lot you can do when your running game gets shut down, and then you have to throw a C.J. Beathard. I, I predicted Brita is still banged up a little bit. Is that and why? Okay, yeah. Yeah, so he's banged up. He fumbled, so that's why he had the limited amount of carries. But you look at this offense, and this is just a receiving core that just does not have enough weapons. George Kittle's turning out to be really nice. He's the favorite target for both Jimmy Garoppolo and um, C.J. Beathard. Yeah. C.J. Beathard. And then Marcus Goodwin, I, he's turning out to be a boomer bust guy. You know, He's either going to put up 110 yards on a touchdown or he's going to put up 
30 yards like yeah. he did in this game. Yeah, exactly. So, again, not a lot of takeaways from this game. It's kind of what we expected. The 49ers are just not a good football team. Uh, kind of out of their control. I mean, Richard Sherman didn't even play. So, Rams' dominance continues. They move to 7-0 as the only undefeated team in the NFL. Let's move on now to an unreal matchup down in what... I wouldn't say unreal. That was a little bit overstated. <laughs> but a big NFC East battle. Yeah. Um, the Washington Redskins have beaten the Dallas Cowboys 20-17. to Kind of a surprise to most people. I had Dallas... We both had Dallas plus one and a half. So we were both wrong on that. Um, this was a Washington team that looked pretty inconsistent. But they just picked up a big win against an, uh, an NFC opponent. And there's a little tidbit. Dallas Cowboys are now 0-4 on the road. 3-0 at home, so very concerning if you're a Cowboys fan. But what'd you make from this game? Yeah, Dak Prescott had a nice day through the air, 273 yards passing, touchdown, no interceptions, 63 or I'm sorry, 33 yards rushing and a touchdown. But Zeke Elliott only 33 yards rushing. Don't know what happened there. But Michael Gallup had a big day, 81 yards receiving and a touchdown. Came all on a big throw and catch. Uh, that was a nice move. You saw yeah. a double move. Allen Hearns, 74 yards receiving. And this Dallas Cowboys offense should be improved since they just traded for Amari Cooper, giving up a first-round pick. Probably a little bit too much. Um, A lot too much. But it's what they needed. They, you got to do it. From a football standpoint, it's a good move. From a value standpoint, not a good move. Well, here's the thing. This is a team like if if the Dallas Cowboys were five and one right now, or five and two, six and one, and they gave up a first down for Mark Cooper, I'd be like, hell yeah, this is a team that has a chance. To make this is not a team right now that has a chance to make the playoffs, and you're gonna need an impact player in the draft next they have year. A chance, it's just they have a chance. Okay, no, so they have a, a chance. chance of not making right. and giving up a very right. nice and pick. Let's say they don't. Okay, first of all. Amari Cooper is just not worth it. We we see Josh Gordon get traded for a fifth rounder, who's clearly been better than Amari Cooper. Off the field issues. Off the field bit. issues. I know that's that. part of the reason about why he was a fifth rounder. But I just don't. I, if you're the Dallas Cowboys, you have Des Bryant sitting there for free, essentially, and then you go trade a first rounder for a guy who we don't even know is better than Des Bryant. I don't know. It confuses me. But go on about what you're saying. Again, forget the value and everything. He will be a help to this offense. Yeah. And let's... He, if the Cowboys no, number one wide receiver. Their other guys right. are, are complimentary pieces. All right. And if the Dallas Cowboys make the NFC Championship, you have the complete right to prove me wrong. If they make the NFC Championship, and a huge part of the reason is because they got the passing offense going with Amari Cooper, come to me about it. But I just don't think that it's going to be worth it. Again, we don't know Amari Cooper's value at this point. Yeah. There's a lot been going down in Oakland with the offensive line being horrible, with the kind of the regression of Derek Carr. So we'll see how it plays out. But just back to this game in general, Washington did what they're going to need to do every game, ground and pound. We know Alex Smith is a game manager. We've been knowing this for years. But Adrian Peterson, 24 carries, 99 yards. I mean, if you're giving the ball to Adrian Peterson 24, yard, 24 times a game, it's going to work out good for you. He's still a really productive guy. They've got, you know what? Chris Thompson's injured. Capri Bibbs. Capri Bibbs stepped in for Chris Thompson. 
But I do like what Chris Thompson does more. He provides a whole different dynamic to their offense. But Kibbe Bibbs had a nice game. He did score a touchdown. He looked really explosive on that touchdown. But Washington defense, really good. Provided a lot of pressure. Um, forced Dak Prescott to do a lot of things. That's one of the reasons he had six carries for 33 yards. A lot of them came from rolling out. But I'm really liking where this Washington defense is at right now. This is a team that if they continue this formula of ground and pound and let Alex Smith, Alex Smith be a game manager, they're going to be a hard team to beat. That's for sure. Um, I don't know if we'll see them in the playoffs or not. They are leading the NFC East, but they're, I'd say they're still average talent-wise, overall average. But it's a team that they know how to win football games. And... Let's go to, um, what was this? Yes, um, in the end of the game, what everyone was talking about, you got the Cowboys with a chance to make a 42-yard field goal. And the referees call a snap infraction on the long snapper. Now, I don't know if you, I saw a few tweets, I don't know a lot about this rule. I'm sorry I don't know a rule about the snap infraction. My fault. But I saw a tweet from Tony Dungy who said it should not have been, in, who said that's a completely legal football move. And I saw Skip Bayless going crazy on Twitter. What do you think of that? Do you? I don't know if you know anything about it. Do you think that should have been a penalty or not? I mean, if you saw the play, what he did basically was he moved the ball. He kind of motioned it slightly towards the kicker, drew a Redskins um, defender offsides. But instead of calling offsides, they called the snap infraction on the center. Now, after that, the Dallas Cowboys kicker, um, what was his name, Mahi? I forget his name. Brett Maher misses from 47, but it would have been in from 42. What do you think? Penalty, you think they should have called it or not? Yeah, I mean, I, I'm definitely not a rules expert, but... It's it, too it's, it's too little. I feel like we see it. I feel like we've seen it before. And in a game that's coming down in the fourth quarter like this, I don't think it's a call that you can make. Yeah, uh, NFL's vice president of officiating, Al Riveron, stepped in and explained that... The illegal ball movement by the center causes the defense to come across the neutral zone yep. and contact the lineman. So, the Al NFL, Riveron, well, he's going to yeah, back up the, the officials. Yeah, they always way. don't necessarily give up the most. Uh, they they have to back up the ruling most of the time. Oh yeah. But Skip Bayless, this the snapper could have snapped the ball, and then the holder could have thrown it back to the snapper, and then they could have redone it. Skip Bayless said would have said there still shouldn't have been a penalty there <laughs> so yeah skip not necessarily the guy i want to listen to right. but it on plays like this it's just it's unfortunate yeah it's it's a tough call i'm actually gonna mention a little bit about this later in the podcast okay but um yeah it's tough break sometimes penalties they just really bite you in the butt Yep, proved that in this game. So, again, Dallas Cowboys dropped to 3-4. and four. Washington Redskins moved to 4-2 and two first in the NFC East. Let's move on to the Sunday night football matchup. that actually got flexed in because the 49ers were supposed to be on primetime, but kind of a horrible flex in. I mean, they didn't yeah. expect the game to turn out this way, but as it turned out, it was a Kansas City Chiefs win, winning 45-10, to 10, moving them to 6-1, and one, moving the Bengals to 4-3. and three. They did not look good at all. We I had Cincy, plus, we both had Cincy plus 6. Yeah. Both wrong on that, big time. Um, total domination from the Chiefs, what did you see in this one? Yeah, this has to be the most surprising game of the week. I talked about the, uh, the over easily hitting 
and all oh. of a sudden, oh, the Bengals, the offense, mortal lock. Yeah, the more it was it. By On far, paper, the, it was the, the easiest yeah. over I've ever seen. This Bengals offense could not do a single thing. Andy Dolan only 148 yards Man. on the worst defense in football. That's that's ridiculous. Joe Mixon only 50 yards. I mean, this is just awful showing by the Cincinnati Bengals. Something's got to change, or I don't even know what happened. This Bengals offense just completely struggled somehow against the worst defense in the NFL. Yeah, dead last, 32. Yeah, this wasn't like it was a good pass defense and a bad run defense or a bad run defense and a good pass defense. All around this defense is horrible, and the Cincinnati Bengals could not do a single thing against this defense. From the moment this game started going, the Bengals looked like they had no shot. It looked like a different Bengals team from what we had been seeing so far this year. But the Chiefs just keep picking up where they left off. Pat Mahomes, three hundred eighty or three hundred fifty-eight yards, four touchdowns, an interception, forty-five yards rushing. Another big day from him. Kareem Hunt, eighty-six yards rushing and a touchdown, fifty-five yards receiving and two receiving touchdowns. So another big day for him after last week. Um, Spencer Ware got in the game a little bit, fifty-nine yards rushing. Yeah, not bad. Tyreek Hill. 68 yards and a touchdown. Should have had another long touchdown uh, in the fourth quarter. Dropped it in the end zone. There was no one around him. Tough break there. But Andy Reid winning his 200th career game, including playoffs. He's the ninth coach in NFL history to do that. So a former Eagles coach. I love Big Red. Did great things for the Eagles. So an amazing accomplishment for him. He picked up where he left off with the Eagles, continues to win. If this Chiefs can finally do it and win Andy his Super Bowl, I think people are going to start talking about Andy Reid as one of the best coaches of all time. But without that Super Bowl ring, it just seems like he can only do it in the regular season. But he is one of the most creative coaches of all time, one of the best coaches of all time. This guy has changed everything in the league. Quarterbacks are becoming more mobile more designs, more, and if you look at his coaching tree, a ton of coaches in the NFL started under Andy Reid. This guy needs to get more consideration for being one of the best coaches of all time. Just a great accomplishment for him, but this Chiefs team, the defense started to pick up. They might start looking a little bit more scarier if this defense can continue to play well. The offense is already what we know. They're the best in the league, I think, right now, or maybe behind the Rams. But if the defense can pick up, this team could be even scarier. I completely agree. Let's hold our horses, though, about the defense. Despite only letting on 239 yards to Cincinnati Bengals, they are still ranked last in the NFL. Yeah, still not good. Still not good. I'm still going to need to see more from the defense. But this is the performance we've been waiting for. This was finally a complete game for the Kansas City Chiefs. Neither of their first six games were complete because of the defensive woes. But now that they put the defense and the offense together, this is the team that the Kansas City Chiefs can be. But they will not be every game because of this defense. However, this, I mean, it, this Kansas City offense is just unbelievably creative. And it all comes from the playmakers that they have. When you have so many dynamic guys like I mean, you saw the play that Kareem Hunt made where he shakes off a tackle, then hurdles a defender. I mean, the, the, the amount of athletic players you have on that team, 
it just it's just incredible and it, it allows Andy Reid to do so much I absolutely love it I love their offense but this Cincy team although they're four and three they're not great they have the 31st ranked defense in the NFL in total defense which surprised me when I saw that but 31st I know some of that is because they just let out 551 yards to the Chiefs, which I believe was a franchise record, but um, 25th in offense for the Bengals as well. This was an offense that we talked about that we really liked and that we thought was the focal point of this team. We knew the defense was solid, but we thought the offense was actually being productive, and now they're actually ranked 25th. I mean, we still haven't seen the production from Joe Mixon that we want, the 100-yard games and all that, and then Andy Dalton is Andy Dalton. Uh, he seemed like people, all my Bengals fans, the beginning of the five, first five games were like, oh, the old Andy Dalton is done. This is a new Andy Dalton. Nope, this is the same Andy Dalton. And quite frankly, this Bengals team is never going to have a chance to win a Super Bowl unless they get a new quarterback. As much as you love Andy Dalton, that's just the way it is. You may dis- Do you agree? I mean, this is, if you look back at all the teams, I'm not going to pin it on Andy Dalton, but they lost that many playoff games. Yeah. Something's got to change. It, if you have a superstar quarterback, he can win those games for you. And I think they need to reconstruct that. They need to either sign a free agent or go into the draft and get a new guy. I don't think Andy Dalton's the answer anymore in Cincy. I mean, he, he did play very well leading up to this point. He wasn't playing terrible. I agree. But, I mean, yeah, I, I just... I don't know if he's ever going to be the guy. He's never going to be the guy they will he take might him to be, the promised land. He might be a guy who can get them to the AFC Championship. Right. But I don't know if he's going to get them to a Super Bowl and win them the Super Bowl. But the same could have been said for Nick Foles. You catch fire sometimes and everything just goes your way. Right. Nick Foles Good had point. two of the best games in his life against the Vikings and the Patriots in the playoffs last year. Everybody counted the Eagles out. Um, sometimes it, all it takes is just catching fire a little bit and everything just uh, turns out in your favor. Very true, very true. So we'll see if he can catch fire late in the season and if he can put the Bengals on a run and put them in a position to make the playoffs because they still are in the hunt. Um, let's move on now to the Monday Night Football game. The Giants versus the Falcons. The Falcons have won 23-20 to in Atlanta, moving them to 3-4 and four and dropping the New York Giants to 1-6. Ryan had Atlanta minus 4.5. I had New York Giants plus 4.5, and, and I also did say Atlanta would win by 3, so I was spot on about that. Um, what did you see from this game, which I think, like I said, was a lot closer than most people would have expected? Yeah, Matt Ryan... He's looking. He's looking like an MVP candidate right now. To be completely honest, if his team was about five hundred, but he's definitely looking like his two thousand sixteen yes. MVP self. Yes. Okay. Um, three hundred seventy nine yards passing, a touchdown, no interceptions. Actually, Eli Manning. This played, is what I said. This well. is what I said. He had almost four hundred yards, yards passing, a touchdown, no interceptions. Saquon Barkley, 43 yards rushing and a touchdown, 51 yards receiving. Sterling Shepard, a big day. A huge day. Yeah, you're right. 167 yards receiving. Odell Beckham Jr. got going. 143 yards receiving and a touchdown. He has reached 5,000 career receiving yards in fewer games than any player since the 1970 merger. He passed Julio Jones, who did it in 56 games. He did it in... Odell did it in 54 
So, uh, a historic night for Odell Beckham Jr. Oh, yeah. But uh, this Falcons offense, it, it looked all right. They didn't score a ton of points, but Tevin Coleman, a rushing touchdown, 50 yards rushing, 32 receiving. Marvin Hall with a 63-yard night and a touchdown. But I think the big thing here... Who? Who? Yeah, exactly. The, the big thing here is Julio Jones, 104 yards, a fumble, mm-hmm. and did he have a touchdown? Mm-hmm. He did not. He did not have a touchdown. Still looking to find the end zone. It's not like this Falcons team is not scoring touchdowns completely. It's not like their wide receivers aren't scoring touchdowns. It's not like any... They're scoring touchdowns. It's just they're not to Julio Jones. <laughs> no. I don't know what's going on there. I mean, when you're in the red zone, I think Matt Ryan just has to look for Julio Jones every single time. If it results in field goals, so be it. But you got to find him in the red zone. He He's easily the most physically daunting wide receiver, I think, in the league. He's, oh, yeah, he's extremely tall. Extremely fast. Yeah. If he can get going, he could easily be in the conversation of best wide receiver in the game. He is right now, but without without the, one of the best wide receivers in the I'd game. I'd say OBJ and Antonio Brown are better than Julio Jones. I think you can make a case for You could make a case. But without those touchdowns, it's tough to make that case. Touchdowns aren't everything for a wide receiver, Yeah, but you got to be able to score some. And that's not necessarily his fault because... The quarterback's got to look for him. The quarterback's got to throw to him. He's got to make a good pass. So it's not all his fault, but still just astonishing that Julio Jones cannot find the end zone. Right. I mean, to be completely honest, the reason that they're so successful in the red zone is because they're not targeting Julio. Last year, all Steve Sarkeesian wanted to do was target Julio, and it wasn't. It was clearly um, affecting their offense. So maybe it's for the better that he's not scoring touchdowns but he should be scoring at least a few you still should be throwing fades to him when you need yeah. to um like i'm gonna take that guy over anyone else in the nfl on jump ball for sure so we'll see how i mean they're winning they're they're being they're being productive in the red zone and like julio said in the postgame press conference with monday night football crew he doesn't care if they're winning football games and they're scoring in the red zone he doesn't care what his production is I mean, as a fantasy owner, I'd really like to see a few touchdowns, so please throw it to him, Steve yeah. Sarkeesian. But, um, yeah, back to this game. The Giants' play calling was okay. The execution was just not very good. You saw uh, Pat Shermer yelling on the sideline on a touch on a missed touchdown throw. He was yelling, throw to Odell. Like, throwing, yelling, Odell was on running kind of a, a little hitch route. And he was, had a little bit of separation, but Eli didn't throw to him. Now, Eli threw for 400 yards, 27 for 38, and one touchdown. But he's under so much scrutiny that un, that one bad throw for Eli is going to... Everyone's calling for his head. He didn't have that bad of a game. He missed the throws that he usually misses. But again, threw for almost 400 yards passing. If they can get the... I mean, I know this is a bad Atlanta secondary, but if they can get this passing offense going, this is a team that it should have that will be competitive in every game because I like their defense. Olivier Vernon has come back, has recorded a sack, and he's looking really good, really helping the pressure of the Giants. And the, the defense didn't look bad. The Falcons had nice pressure on defense, but their secondary is going to be the hugest problem for them, and I don't think 
they luck they luckily came out of a win with this one because Georgia Tovecchio hits a fifty six yarder. Yeah. So don't expect that to happen all the time. And they almost lost to the one in five New York Giants. So don't get too high, Atlanta Falcons fans, because your defense still sucks. Um, both O lines are horrible though. Just want to go out and say that, and that's gonna be a big problem for the Atlanta Falcons going on because if they want to win football games, they're gonna have to put up thirty points every game. Um, and if they don't have the O line, they actually just lost another O line. Um, I believe his name. Fusco, I don't know his first name, but his last name is Fusco. Um, so that's another injury for the Atlanta Falcons. He actually went on to IR, which makes them have like six players on IR, something like that. Ridiculous. Yeah. But the OBJ breakout game, like I said, it would be against this Falcons secondary. And this is a New York Giants team at 1-6 at this point. You've traded Eli Apple. Definitely going to go into rebuild mode, even though they're not that far away. This is not a team... That is that far away from being a playoff contender, and I, you could probably agree with that. That's not even an outrageous state, yeah, statement. They, they this is a team that has talent. They were definitely in contention this year. They're, a lot of people were picking them to win the NFC East. Yeah, I mean, they're missing one thing, and that's a quarterback. I mean, that's really and all. An offensive I mean, line. a quarterback and offensive line, and I don't know how I feel about Pat Shermer. We saw, let's talk about this, too. We didn't even talk about this. The two-point conversion, you're down 20-12. to 12. If you go kick the field goal, you go down seven. Instead, he chooses to go for two. In that situation, in the fourth quarter, why are you going for two? Do you yeah. have any reasoning? I'm gonna. I'm not gonna completely uh, math out on this, but statistically, I saw this. This Statistically, was crazy. you should go for two because if you make it, then you're only down by six. You're in two field goals, or you're you can win the game on a touchdown and an extra point. And if you miss it, you're still only down by eight. So you can go for two again. Um, you're more likely to win the game than just kicking extra points. You actually have uh, a sixty-seven and a half or sixty-two and a half percent chance of winning the game. Technically, um, so people are freaking out. But this is that was actually a very smart play. It actually makes more sense statistically. Statistically, yeah, yes. So, I mean, the play call was out, good. The play call was good. It was just a bad throw by Eli. He kind of threw it behind Odell Beckham Jr. a little bit. Yeah, it was a so. very hard catch to make, and it was deflected. So, I mean, you can harp on that all you want, but they had a chance to win the game down the stretch, and they just didn't execute. So, don't blame it on the missed two point conversion. Blame it on their lack of execution down the so, stretch. Another loss for the Giants. Another loss for the Giants. They are in dead last in MCA's East, and they are basically eliminated from the playoffs. Unless they somehow went out, which isn't happening. Yeah. Let's move on to our last segment, the best of the week. So this is where we go over the best things that both me and Ryan saw in week seven. Ryan, what was the best thing you saw in week seven? Yeah, I'm actually going to go with two things that combined into one thing for the Philadelphia Eagles. Uh I love seeing the Cowboys lose, and I love seeing the Giants lose. The Giants get the ball back down 11 with 150 to go. They drive all the way down the field, get to the goal line with less than a minute, and Eli Manning makes the most Eli Manning play I've ever seen in my life. Goes for back-to-back QB sneaks oh, with no timeouts my God. I totally forgot on to mention the goal that. line. No timeouts. What are you doing, Eli? You have Odell. You have Saquon. You got to throw the ball. If it's an inter- or if it's incomplete, the clock stops. If it's complete, it's a touchdown. You're... 
there's no reason for you to be diving forward. That's horrible. Everybody falls on top of you. He wasted a good 45 seconds. When he does get the touchdown, there's five seconds left in the game. They don't even have time to uh, make a good onside kick, recover, and at least have an attempt. They didn't recover it, but they wouldn't have had any time yeah. anyways. The next thing, the Cowboys get the ball back with just over a minute left, drive down the field, get to the Washington 37, complete the pass for a first down with less than 30 seconds left. The play is reviewed, it's upheld, but the clock keeps going because it was inbounds. Yep. Dak Prescott needs to step up to the line and spike the ball or use your last remaining timeout. There's only 12 seconds left in the game, but no. What does Jason Garrett do? He runs a, uh, a run straight up the middle oh. with Zeke Elliott. They waste that opportunity. They could have taken a shot for the end zone, but no. They call the timeout, settle for the field goal, and what happens? A false start, move it back five yards, miss the 52-yard field goal. That would have been good for 47. <laughs> Just terrible clock management from the Giants and the Cowboys. Love to see it if you're an Eagles fan or even a Washington Redskins fan because they're in first place. Well, there you go. That's Ryan's best of Week 7. Now let's go to my best of Week 7. We're going to go to the New England Patriots versus the Chicago Bears. They have driven down the field. They have the ball at the 40-yard line-ish. Two seconds left in the game. I'm expect- Josh Gordon comes out on the field in the secondary to-, to defend a Hail Mary for the Patriots. And who do we see traipsing onto the field from Chicago? Kevin White. Out of the dead, out of the grave, Kevin White comes onto the field. Not only does he come out of the field, he runs 60 yards, gets to the two-yard line, catches it in a crowd of four people. Unbelievable throw by Mitchell Trubisky, by the way. Catches it in a crowd of four people and just misses it by one yard. The Chicago Bears are one yard from pushing the game to overtime. And the least expected person on the team to make the play makes the play. Unreal from Kevin White. Kudos to the man. He's on the way up. Love to see it. And now the last thing, last best thing I saw from week four. Not week four. Week seven. We're going to go to Baltimore. The Ravens have just scored a touchdown. To kick the extra point is Justin Tucker. It's up, it's straight, it moves right. And you see the facial reaction from Justin Tucker. I wish I could show you to you. He is in absolute awe. He is in absolute awe that he missed it. And it is the funniest reaction I've ever seen. Look it up on Twitter. Yeah, it's he, all over the place. He clearly thought that ball was he going in. He clearly thought that ball was going in. He could not believe it. Love to see it. That's the best of week seven. Hope you guys love the podcast. Subscribe. We're all over iTunes, Spotify. Look us up on Apple Podcasts, any platform that you watch or listen to the podcast. We are on there. Hit subscribe. Help us pay for college tuition a little bit, maybe a few bucks here and there for uh, Wendy's or something like that. But thanks for listening, guys. Have a great day. See you later.